Hello everyone and welcome to Energy Explored. This podcast covers the challenges of achieving a carbon neutral global economy, cutting emissions of gases and pollutants and setting up new energy systems. Join Reed Smith lawyers and guest speakers as they shed light on the most important trends in emissions control and new fuels. Tune in as we follow the ever-evolving journey through the transition of energy. Greetings. We are delighted to welcome you to a new podcast entitled Energy Explored. My name is Colette Honorable, and I'm a partner at Reed Smith Law Firm. We're a global law firm, and we have 30 offices around the world. I lead our energy regulatory offering, and I'm joined by my colleague and dear friend here at Reed Smith, Deb Palmer. And today, we look forward to exploring with you a little bit about what's happening in the U.S. and the Biden administration's efforts at spurring the clean energy transition and fighting climate change. Deb, I know you obviously extremely well. We've been working together five years now. Time flies when you're having fun. Why don't you share a little bit about your experience and why you're really the, I call you the magic behind the curtain. (laughs) Thank you, Colette. It's a joy to work with you too. As Colette said, I'm Deb Palmer, and I've been doing energy regulatory work for about 35 years now with the focus on FERC. As Colette also said, FERC is facing major issues regarding climate change and has instituted a number of proceedings to try to address those concerns. In particular, FERC is focused on matters associated with the changing generation resource mix in the country, the, the switch from fossil fuel generation to increasingly the use of renewable generation. That's right, Deb. And what we are seeing now is FERC really drilling in on how energy needs to move, how to move these renewables from where they're being developed to where they will serve consumers. And so there's a tremendous focus on transmission development right now at the agency. Yes, there is. Renewables often are located far from consumer centers. And so FERC is concerned that there is not enough transmission or big transmission wires to move that power from where it's located to the consumers. And in April, FERC issued a major notice of proposed rulemaking that we call a NOPER, designed to increase the amount of transmission to move those renewable resources to consumers. The NOPER is called Building for the Future Through Electric Regional Transmission Planning and Cost Allocation and Generator Interconnection. That's a mouthful, but you can (laughs) see the number of issues that FERC is trying to deal with to make sure that the country is ready to address climate change and the changing resource mix. I'm excited about this effort. It is a major effort, and I imagine you're going to share with us why that is. And I think it's important also to put into context why this is critical. These lines cost billions to develop, and who pays for those at the end of the day? Consumers, and they're consumers of all types, commercial and industrial consumers, and as we often think about residential consumers of all types. So it's critically important that FERC undertake this effort thoughtfully and in a way that really contemplates the regulatory concept of affordability and how consumers would pay for this work. Exactly. 
FERC is required to ensure that transmission rates in the country are just and reasonable. And that's why they have started these, these processes to make sure that when this new transmission is built, that the rates are appropriate and affordable. FERC is trying to do this thoughtfully, I believe. Before issuing the NOPER back in April, uh, FERC issued what it called an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking on this topic and received over 6,000 pages of initial and reply comments from about 175 parties on the advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, which shows how important this issue is to the industry. Absolutely. And Deb, when I saw that, it, it was stunning. And as a former commissioner at FERC, it would take us months and months to wade through that. But it's critical that consumers and stakeholders weigh in on these issues. And it's equally important that the commission consider them. So 6,000 pages of comments from 175 parties, that, that is hours and hours of reading of a number of diverse perspectives that are critical to getting this rulemaking just right. Before we really get into the new rulemaking, it might help to, to give a little context of where we are today and why FERC thinks that some changes are necessary. Back in 2011, FERC issued a rule called Order 1000 that was designed to address the regional transmission planning. And it recognized that the country has three types of electric transmission projects. Those that are designed for reliability, that is those transmission lines that we have to build to make sure the lights stay on, maybe because some old lines are old or because people have moved to new places. There are other transmission projects that are built for economic reasons, perhaps to access less expensive sources of electricity. And the final one is public policy transmission projects. And those are the sorts of projects that we're talking about here, the kind of projects that FERC wants to have built so we can move and address climate change issues. I'm glad you mentioned public policy because you're really taking me down back down memory lane when Order 1000 was developed and during the time that that rulemaking was being considered. I was a state commissioner at the time. And to be honest, we had a little concern about how FERC would do this work and how state public policy would be considered and integrated into this broader interregional or regional transmission planning process. And we've learned that Order 1000, although well-intended, it didn't operate as intended and we didn't see the fruits of the labor from Order 1000 that we had hoped. And that's why it's really critical for us to reevaluate how regional electric transmission planning and cost allocation processes are carried out because we really know that we can do much better. And that is exactly what FERC indicated in the NOPER. FERC said that Order 1000 has done fairly well with respect to more local transmission projects or projects built to interconnect generators, but has not done a great job at building longer line, more regional projects that are necessary for these renewable resources. So the NOPA proposes a few fixes to try and address that concern. Probably the biggest one is it is now going to require regional transmission planning processes to adopt a 20-year planning horizon. Today, most most regional entities plan for five to maybe 15 years. So 20 years is, is a lot longer. And of course, 
that means you have to make more assumptions to, to appropriately plan for that length of time. Indeed. And I think for those of us who have worked in this sector for quite a while, we know that that 20-year period, it seems long right now, but it's really not at all. And it's critical as we know that the development of transmission projects in particular takes a number of years that we plan for the long haul. We, we don't have the luxury to plan in five-year increments or even 10-year increments. We have to consider and plan today for what the grid will look like in the future. FERC is also requiring that the regional transmission planners use scenarios in their planning processes to try and develop what they think is going to happen. What, you know, how many resources are going to retire? What new resources are we going to have? What public policy initiatives may be adopted in this 20-year plan? And one of those scenarios has to consider low-frequency, high-impact events that we've been seeing more commonly now, extreme weather events, lots of heat or extreme cold. And FERC also wants regional planners to relook at these scenarios every three years to make sure the planning process isn't static, that we don't do one plan for 20 years and then ignore it until the 20-year time period has expired. We look at the scenarios every three years to make sure they're still the ones we should be planning for. I think this is a critical element of the proposal, Deb, because number one, climate change has really taught us that we can't rely on past weather patterns, past temperature readings to help us predict what the future will be. What we know for certain is that this climate is evolving and it's evolving rapidly and dramatically. So it's critical that we take that into account. Another element that I think will be critical to keep in mind as we are weighing in on these rulemakings and as FERC is considering the comments that are filed is how the loads are shifting and changing. We are seeing population growth, for instance, in Florida, I think the number may be a thousand people a day. That's <laughs> quite amazing in places like Texas and other movement around the country. It also depends on new industry, whether there is a large commercial or industrial entity coming into a community. That's a great thing, but we have to plan for it in advance. And we also, again, have to take into account what the state leadership has in mind for what the generation mix should look like in that state or that locale in the future. Exactly. One of the other things that we have to look at and that FERC has identified in this notebook is the advance of technology. You know, every day, technology changes. FERC wants planners to now use dynamic line readings rather than just look at a transmission line and say, that's always and forever going to be you know, 230 kV. There may be times of the year where, where that's different, and they want those sorts of changes in technologies to be considered in planning. Another type of technology that's becoming more prevalent is advanced power flow control devices. It used to be that you know electricity kind of went one way, the laws of physics, and we've now developed some, some devices that allow the flows to change a little bit. I'm really pleased to see FERC working in this way, Deb, because as we know from the seats we sit in today, the players and the stakeholders and the disruptors and innovators are very new and different. 
And when I first became a regulator back in 07, uh, I used to give this speech called, it's not your grandfather's utility anymore. (laughs) Well, I don't know if it's our mother's or father's utility anymore, because we have these incredible bright minds and new thinkers. And when I use the term disruptors, I mean that in a great way. So we're really appreciating the benefits of technology. For instance, how artificial intelligence and machine learning can be utilized to help, even through leveraging broadband spectrum, for instance, how we can leverage that technology to improve the delivery of energy services and how to ensure better reliability and resilience. So it's a terrific time in our sector. I think we're grappling with these new tools. That's a good thing. It's a good challenge to me. These are great opportunities. And so I'm really excited to see how the rules will change to make way for these new technologies. FERC is clearly grappling with a number of issues here. Mm-hmm. And it, the NOPA makes clear that, that they're looking at what has worked in the past and what hasn't worked in the past. And one of the things that FERC has identified that may not have worked well is Order 1000's elimination of what is called the right of first refusal for incumbent utilities to build transmission. Order 1000, in an effort to enhance competition and to get new players into the transmission market, eliminated the right of first refusal for incumbent utilities to allow other people to build transmission. But as we've just discussed, a lot of transmission has not been built since Order 1000. FERC is proposing to restore the right of first refusal for incumbent utilities as long as those utilities agree to joint ownership of these regional transmission projects. For example, the project could be jointly owned with a municipal utility. Well, you're taking me back down this path again to the time when this right of first refusal, or as we affectionately or not so affectionately (laughs) called it, ROFR, to when it was developed. And I remember this being quite controversial at the time because it was such a change. And honestly, we didn't know what the other side of that looked like. And I want to applaud FERC for even proposing this change. And I also want to shed a little light on why this is not going to be a bad thing. So for all of those disruptors and techies that I've just applauded, this part is going to be okay too, because quite frankly, we've already seen incumbent utilities working in this way. We've seen them partnering in new and different ways with new players and new developers, and also really working better with municipal utilities and others to bring about the infrastructure that we need. I often say, Deb, infrastructure is an issue around which everyone can coalesce. So no matter what you think about climate change and no matter what you think about energy sources and resources, we can all agree that we need more infrastructure. And so I applaud FERC here for really seeing that we need fewer barriers to the development of the kinds of lines that we need. I think after Order 1000, to your earlier point, Deb, we really saw fewer large lines. And those are the very kind of transmission lines that we need that cross states, that cross regions to move this terrific abundance of wind and solar to where it needs to go, partnered with storage, of course. 
and even gas, but we need to make way for the development of larger lines and quite frankly, make way for those who were willing to take on the risk and bear that initial cost of developing the lines. And that brings us to what is probably the most difficult subject here. <laughs> it is. You just, you just mentioned it, cost. <laughs> And the, the NOPR tries to address the question of cost allocation. And let's give a little history on that too. If you're building a transmission line that you know, crosses several states, several traditional utilities regions, the question becomes, who pays for that? And while a project developer may have to go out and obtain the money in the first instance, that project developer is going to expect to recover the cost from the consumers who ultimately use the energy that's transmitted over those lines. And it becomes hard to determine who should pay for the costs associated with the line that crosses so many regions or, or miles. Order 1000 attempted to deal with that and identified six elements for cost allocation. But I think the key one that we really need to focus on is that the people who benefit from the line are the people who should pay for it. The question then becomes, how do we determine who benefits? The NOPA proposes that regional transmission planners can use one of three ways to allocate these costs. They could actually develop their own long-term regional cost allocation method after the NOPRS becomes a final rule. I think the commission expects parties to get together and come up with some proposals that would address questions of who benefits from these long-term, long-line transmission projects. Another option that the commission has suggested in the NOPR is that the states could develop a state agreement process whereby they would actually look at particular proposals and say, hey, for this transmission line, we think that the cost should be allocated in this manner. And the third approach is to adopt a combination of the two. Some projects might be the cost might be allocated using the long-term regional cost allocation process. Others might use a state agreement process. I think the key difference that people have to understand is the long-term regional cost allocation method would be established in a tariff, would be known ahead of time, so the transmission planner would know exactly how the cost would be allocated. The state process is more of an ex-post process. The project would be proposed and then the states would get together and decide how the cost should be allocated. This is critical. Thank you, Deb, for explaining that so nicely because this is the toughest issue of them all. So the identification of where the transmission is needed, that is critical. And we don't even get to talk about cost allocation until we've taken up that issue. And if you could imagine sitting in those stakeholder rooms, and I've been in many over the years, and in fact, in Arkansas, my home state, I participated in three of these regional sorts of processes, and each one took lots of time, lots of energy. I think we spent lots of emotion. And quite honestly, my governor never told me one thing about this critical task. It, I think this was other duties as assigned, but important, no doubt, because to the point that you just mentioned, Deb, for states to still be recognized as, as being sovereign and being the ones that determine how the costs are allocated among 
retail and distribution level customers is a critical element that needed to be preserved. And I really appreciate how FERC is working alongside the states in this way. We've seen some times over the years where it hasn't been as smooth and it's been a little bit more bumpy. We'll talk about that on a future episode when we speak about energy storage. But here, in terms of our discussion today on cost allocation, this is a very difficult task because you're requiring a lot of stakeholders that have individual and really important interests that are diverse at times to come together and really set aside their parochial views and thinking to develop what is best for the region. And in doing so, determine what is reasonable, what is affordable, and what will sustain and support this grid for the next 20 years. I think that brings us to maybe one of the ultimate goals of this NOPR. And to make sure that the rates are just and reasonable for transmission service, FERC wants to make sure that the projects that are built are the ones that are most cost-effective and efficient. They want projects to be right-sized. FERC doesn't want projects to be built that might address a small problem, but that in two years is not adequate to address another problem in, in the region, and therefore we have to go back to the drawing board and build more transmission. For example, FERC has found that oftentimes Transmission projects are built to connect perhaps one generator to the grid, but then shortly after that, other generators want to connect in the same region. And so we have to continue to upgrade the same facilities. And and FERC is trying to avoid that. FERC thinks that is not cost-effective and an efficient way to construct the transmission grid that we need for the future. Deb, I want to say too, I agree with that. This is a hard point here because we need a grid that is open, that is, and a process that is transparent for any and all who want to come. But from an interregional and even a regional transmission planning process, where we know those costs are borne by someone, <laughs> we have to be especially thoughtful and really stand in the gap for those who are paying the costs ultimately to make sure we say in a term of art that we have in the sector, these projects aren't gold-plated, that they are right-sized, and that the processes are efficient. So I think, uh, let me say, I don't think it will be a perfect system, and it won't be a perfect process. But hopefully, after this latest effort by FERC, it will be greatly improved. Comments from the industry are due on the SNOPER on August 17th, and reply comments are due on September 19th. So we'll see how it does play out, Colette. And I hope you're right that that the system improves, even if it can't shoot for perfection here. Right. And we can't let perfect be the enemy of good. We've learned and we tried really hard with Order 1000 and things just didn't work out as FERC had hoped and intended. I really am encouraged by the robustness of this docket and the terrific feedback that thousands of commenters have provided. And it really does give me encouragement that we're going to be on a better path in the future. And let me say, Deb, while while we're on this point, I think it would be appropriate to round out this discussion today in one of our early podcasts together. This has been fun. It's as if folks are sitting in listening to 
conversations that we have about this work practically every single day. But I think it's important to mention here the joint effort at work at both the federal and state level. A number of the listeners will recall that back in June of 2021, the joint federal state task force on electric transmission was developed. And for those who are FERC watchers, we call ourselves FERCians. It's kind of a Star Trek kind of a term, I think. Or if you have worked in the telecom area, you know that these types of joint efforts at the federal and state level are not uncommon, but I'll say we need more of them at FERC and with the National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners. So the latest one is a welcome one, and it is focused on electric transmission and all of the topics that we've discussed today and more. So the task force was established, and you can read about not only the NOPER that Deb mentioned, but along with the summary of the joint task force work in our energy transition report. And we just issued it, and you can find it on our website. You can see it on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Our firm has published it, and I have shared it as well. We are really talking about the energy transition. It is an evolving journey. It's an exciting journey, and yes, it has its challenges. And on page 80 of that report, you will see our discussion that Deb and I have pulled together for you just a little bit, just a little taste of what's happening at FERC and more broadly in the Biden administration. I want to applaud FERC and NARUC here. They have developed this task force, and for those who are FERC watchers. It's docket number AD Alpha David 21-15. And this task force is comprised of not only FERC commissioners, but also 10 state commissioners nominated by NARUC and affirmed by FERC. And so they each had to agree on the participants. And they have met now three times. And for a fourth time, they will meet in at the NARUC meeting in San Diego. And they have taken up a number of topics, including some that you've heard today. Meeting in San Diego, the topic was planned to be interregional transmission planning, as well as the rulemaking that Deb so eloquently spoke about earlier. Why is FERC working in this way? Why is NARUC working in this way? And why is it important that they work together? We've seen over the years where we haven't quite gotten this work right. And I will say this having been a state commissioner and NARUC president and, and lastly at FERC, there are times when we haven't coordinated as well as we should. And quite honestly, times where we were a little caught up in who's on first rather than how these two really important but separate authorities could work better together to, to support this energy transition that we've been speaking about. This unprecedented effort with regard to electric transmission was undertaken to ensure that the federal and state regulators would cooperate well and would focus on a partnership. So versus returning to the state camp and the federal camp, how they could lean into one another to really tackle some of these very critical issues, some of which that we've talked about today, transmission planning, cost allocation, we should take up, Deb, on another episode, interregional 
transmission planning because that is one of the thorniest of, of areas in transmission planning, as well as facilitating better and more efficient and quicker generation interconnection. And a topic that's also quite controversial, high voltage DC transmission line development. We've had a history with all of those and we'll share more of our war stories in the future. But it's critical to weigh into those as well. They are actual public proceedings. They are transparent and open. While you may not be able to participate, you can certainly observe and you can also file comments in the docket. So it's important that we keep up with what's happening there. And I want to ask you, Deb, share your thoughts and reflections about this latest effort by these two entities. I think it's a wonderful development. If we really want to achieve the goals of the Biden administration or to just increase the transmission in this country to move renewables to market, state and federal regulators have to talk to each other. They have to work together. And having these formal conferences and meetings, I I think, is just a wonderful development that will enhance those efforts. And and I think it has. I think you see the NOPR coming out that addresses some state concerns. I, I think things are moving in the right direction. I agree. And we could go on and on about the objectives that could be covered here. You've mentioned a couple. And I often say it doesn't matter your motivation. So you could you could be focused merely on affordability. You could be focused solely on reliability. You could be focused solely on resilience. I'll add in, as you said, a focus on infrastructure development or even addressing climate change. So you could choose your challenge. And I think that to your point, this effort could really help with all of those. Thanks, Deb, also for the way that you couched their effort. There are things that are springing out of it. So this just isn't a bunch of policymakers or politicians sitting around a table. We're really seeing some things happen. The rulemaking that you discussed, and as we close out our time today, I'll mention that on our next podcast, I think we're on to something, Deb, and time flies when you're having fun. I hope that next time we can take up a deeper discussion about interconnection reform for those who are interested. So whether you're talking about generation and a topic we want to speak more about in our next time with you, energy storage or energy storage resources, we are going to see a lot of good things coming from this effort. I look forward to it. This has been a lot of fun. Well, thanks for jumping out here with me. I think folks are used to seeing me. They may be a little tired of it by now, but I'm glad that you joined the fun. It's not so bad, is it? (laughs) No, it really has been fun. (laughs) So we would love to, let me say for the listeners, invite special guests to join us. And we have a few ideas about that, but you will have some too. So join us if you'd like to hear about pressing issues and trending topics of the day or for the future. And we invite you to drop us a line and we'll make sure we can get anyone lined up just about that you would like. And also find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, as well as our Reed Smith Energy and Natural Resources LinkedIn and Twitter pages. Let me conclude by thanking you, Deb, for showing up with me today. And I also want to thank the listeners for tuning in today. We look forward to the next episode of Energy Explored, where we will take up deeper dives into our incredible and dynamic energy sector. Thank you for joining. Thank you. 
Energy Explored is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McCardle. For more information about Reed Smith's energy and natural resources practice, please email energyexplored at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com. And our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.